Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. There are the moves the Baltimore Ravens have made this offseason. The big addition by far, Odell Beckham Jr. And the big transaction came last week with the signing of Lamar Jackson. I spoke for about 25 minutes yesterday with GM Eric DaCosta. Here is a chunk of our conversation, most of which focused on the re-signing of the 2019 NFL MVP. I will say this, like Lamar... You know, is a good agent from the standpoint of he asks the right questions. He knows what he wants in, in a lot of different ways. Uh, he's aware of different, you know, mechanisms and, you know, issues with the contract, language terms, types of structures and things like that. He's done his homework in, in, with all of that stuff. And he's a very, very smart guy, savvy. And uh, he did a great job overall. This thing lingered for months before it was finally done. What was it that broke the ice to get it done last week? You know, I think it was really just a a patience thing, Um, you know, listening to each other. You know, um, I can't give you one specific thing. I would say that we've tried, you know, various structures and different things to get a deal done. Lamar's had his own feelings and ideas and a lot of other things. we thought it was important that Lamar have a chance to kind of see what his market might be if he wanted to, if he wanted to investigate that. We thought that was important for him. Uh, I think the communication piece, uh, I think that Lamar could see from afar that we were trying to build the best team we could, uh, trying to add some weapons on offense around him to be the best offense we could be. And that in the end, I think Lamar Hopefully, I think so. I uh, realized that we were the best place for him, that we love him, that our offer reflected that, and that we were the best place for him to thrive, and that uh, our city, our community, the organization, we really wanted him back greatly. 
You mentioned the aspect of letting him investigate what the market might otherwise bear. You used the non-exclusive franchise tag, gave him the chance to go out there and shop himself, gave other teams an opportunity to pursue him. How surprised were you that no one did? Well, you know, one thing I've learned in my, you know, almost 28 years now is that every team operates differently. Like, listen, there were many players in this draft that we thought were great players who fell. And there were a lot of players that, you know, we weren't quite as high on as other teams. And that's just kind of the nature of the business. Um, So every team evaluates these guys differently. We know who we are with Lamar Jackson at quarterback. We know what our record is. We know we're going to be a tough team to beat uh, every season with Lamar out there on the field. We're going to be a playoff team with Lamar Jackson with some good players around him. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad, obviously. I was, was I surprised? Probably a little bit. But in the end, every team has to look at who they are, how they're built, what's important to them. Um, I always feel like one of the advantages to uh, free agency is when you have a guy on your team, you know exactly who he is. You know how he's wired. You know what's important to him. Other teams don't know that, you know. And so that's why, in my mind, free agency is always a little bit dicey because here we are coveting other players on other teams, and we don't know very much about them. Um, a lot of times we try to find out, but we don't. We know Lamar Jackson. We know how he's wired. We know what resonates with him. We know how competitive he is. Um, And so for us, it was a no-brainer. One of the realities of any negotiation is the contract signed by other players. It provides parameters. It provides structure. It provides clues as to where the market currently is. Which quarterback contract had a bigger impact on the Lamar Jackson situation? Jalen Hurts or Deshaun Watson? Oh, man, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think they were both kind of hovering overhead in different ways. I mean, obviously, the the Watson deal was was really something that the media focused on quite a bit and was fascinated by and the impact that, that would have on the negotiation with Lamar. And then I think the, the Hurts deal, you know, it hit before we got the Lamar deal done. I would say that, you know, the contract that we did with Lamar – is not that dissimilar uh, from the contract that we offered Lamar in September. And I think that contract actually had the biggest impact um, of the whole thing because we felt at the time that that was a strong contract offer. We had a small window to get that done. Lamar had put a self-imposed end of negotiation date uh, before the season started. We felt like we were getting close to a deal at that point, but we ran out of time. And so um, we decided to kind of revisit that contract. We augmented and added some money in different ways to that contract. And fortunately, we were able to get the deal done. Um, But when we compare the two deals, the deal from September and the deal that we offered Lamar, that Lamar accepted, you know, uh, the framework was there with that deal back in September and allowed us to get to this point. Apart from the Jalen Hurts contract, it felt like the signing of Odell Beckham Jr. went a long way toward breaking the ice. Is that fair to think that the arrival of OBJ helped set the stage for the contract to come? Well, I don't think it hurt. You know, Um, listen, we had been talking to OBJ for about six to seven months. We started talking to him last season. 
had some good conversations last year. He wasn't ready at that point to commit or play in 2022. We continued those discussions. Um, we felt like, you know, it was a good bet that he'd be a productive player for us this upcoming season. Um, we felt like he would be a very popular player on the team with the other teammates, including Lamar. Uh, we felt like there'd be a good energy there and a good synergy and that he would come in at one of our weaker positions and augment that room. Um, we felt like the combination of OBJ with, with uh, Rashad Bateman and Devin DuVernay and Nelson Aguilar and Mark Andrews and Isaiah Likely and all those guys would give us a better team. Um, obviously we, we thought that with Lamar Jackson, that would be the best possible solution. Um, I think Lamar was probably happy. I mean, I think his social media posts indicated that he was happy about the OBJ signing. Um, but for us, you know, it was more about building out the receiver room as best as possible, not necessarily as an olive branch to Lamar Jackson, but building the best team we could at the time. You can see the full interview at the NFL on NBC page on YouTube.com. Also, we'll post it at PFT in connection with some of the quotes. There are various things from that interview that stood out to me. And the next question that I asked Eric DaCosta was, how do you respond to the folks who say you overpaid grossly Odo Beckham Jr.? And he gets into the whys and the wherefores. And I think he acknowledges they're paying for things other than football performance, sell jerseys, create excitement. Mm -hmm. It is ultimately show business. You have to get people to want to pay attention, to want to come to the games. you got to have star players. We talked about also the fact that the offense is changing. It, it's obvious at one level when you go from Greg Roman to anyone else, but still, when you think about the things John Harbaugh said after they fired Greg Roman and made it clear they're looking for a new coordinator, they're going to continue to have the same identity. Maybe they're not, not with OBJ, Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews, Isaiah Likely. I think they're going to start throwing the ball a lot more. And I think we're going to see fewer of the design runs as they get deeper into Lamar Jackson's career miles. Well, I, and yeah, Eric DeCasa did acknowledge that in that interview when you were talking to him, that that's something that they have to be conscious of when you're talking about Lamar Jackson and his career and the wear and tear that can come on his body. But I, I think one thing that Todd Munkin should be able to do is just increase the solutions for Lamar Jackson as a quarterback. And one of the things that I was struck by when watching Georgia's offense as I have over the last couple of years, and I guess we all have because they're one of the most prominent prominent teams in college football is the route combinations right and the easy solutions that he would give to Stetson Bennett for where the ball should go now that is something that is going to be completely different in the NFL when you're going against NFL caliber defenses in, instead of you know what TCU put out there in the national championship game it's SoFi Stadium in January but I, I think it's still going to make a difference because you're dealing with somebody who is a former receivers coach, right? He was Odell Beckham Jr.'s position coach with the Cleveland Browns a few years ago in that ill-fated season of 2019. So I think there are things that Todd Munkin understands about offense that he's going to be able to translate to Lamar Jackson and the rest of that pretty talented group that he's now got at receiver and tight end where you will see some different things going on with the Baltimore Ravens offense that should make them better just by kind of the nature of surprise, right, and change. That should really help Baltimore going into 2023, the element of the unknown. 
They're having a press conference today at 1230 Eastern with Lamar Jackson, Eric DaCosta, and John Harbaugh. The deal was done a week ago. I've still yet to see the details, but I was fascinated by DaCosta's admission that they took the offer they had made last year before the season that Lamar Jackson had rejected and they enhanced it. So that tells me it's going to be at least $133 million fully guaranteed right mm-hmm. out of the gates because that was the number we heard last year, $133 million fully guaranteed. The one thing that we didn't know at the time that became more obvious later, how much of the injury guarantee becomes fully guaranteed after only one season. $35 million was the number last year. What's that number going to be this year? That's the key. The full guarantee after one season, because they're not going to cut him after one year. So that full guarantee is going to vest. That's a practical guarantee. We'll eventually get all of that stuff. But, look, DaCosta didn't say it, but I think it's a given. The Jalen Hurts contract woke up Lamar Jackson. It got him to realize, I'm not getting Deshaun Watson's contract. Whatever argument I can make, for the Deshaun Watson deal. And you can make some strong arguments. I'm an MVP. He's not. I don't have 25 lawsuits pending against me. He did. How did he get 230 million fully guaranteed over five years? Well, it's complicated. It was a a process that involved leverage and desperation, and it worked out just right, and he threaded the needle, and he got it. Lamar Jackson's not in that situation. And to his credit, Miles, he finally, someone, somehow, Finally, and I think Odell Beckham Jr. had something to do with it. But someone got him to realize, Lamar, you're not getting that. So at some point, you got to take something. And nobody else is knocking on the door. And this offer they're making you is pretty damn good. At some point, you just have to say yes. And he finally realized, post-Jalen Hurts, post-OBJ, now's the time for me to do it, Miles. Well, you you did try to get him to say that, to your credit, in that interview. But if you're Eric DaCosta, of course you're not actually going to say that. And he said that you need to ask Lamar Jackson that. So, yeah, let's try to get Lamar Jackson on a PFTPM episode and see if he'll actually answer that question. Or maybe he'll answer it today at that press conference at 1230 Eastern time. But I, I think that it's pretty obvious that that was one of the dominoes to fall, the Jalen Hurts contract, right? And once Jalen Hurts does not get a fully guaranteed deal it does make it more plain and obvious that look this is maybe the best thing for you Lamar Jackson if you accept the deal that the Baltimore Ravens are offering and so I mean you know we can say that Lamar Jackson won that he didn't you know that he didn't need an agent that he did I I tend to think that he still could have used an agent to navigate the difficulties of this situation and some of the things that came out Um, In reporting, in just people speculating, a lot of that would have been a little bit different. The narrative of the whole situation would have been different if he had an agent. And maybe some of the financial implications would have been different if he had an agent as well. We'll never know. But at least now they have a resolution. And I think getting that done for the Baltimore Ravens right before the NFL draft was probably a big, big, big sigh of relief within that entire building because it allows you to go into that first round with certainty, right? It allows you to say, okay, we now have this great anchor point for our franchise for the next five seasons. And if you are going into a draft with any of that kind of huge uncertainty over your head, that's not really a good thing.
Many have said as a knee-jerk reaction to Lamar finally getting his contract, finally waking up from the Deshaun Watson fever dream and acknowledging he's not going to get what Watson got, that Lamar Jackson didn't need an agent all along, that he gets that $260 million, he doesn't have to give anybody 3%, 2%, 1%, whatever number it would have been. He doesn't have to give up anything other than to Uncle Sam and the authorities in Maryland. But we need to be realistic about this. we got to go all the way back to 2018. If he had been represented the way other great quarterbacks are from the moment he entered the league, Miles, he wouldn't have fallen to number 32. I promise you he would not have fallen to number 32 because look at what happened with C.J. Stroud. Look at what happened right. last week. It happens every year. The quarterbacks who have agents, those agents want to prop their guy up and knock the other ones down. So Lamar had neither. He had no one propping him up against the Bill Polian-style bullcrap that was out there that he shouldn't even play quarterback. And he had yes. no one who was operating with a sword against other quarterbacks. No shield, no sword. He falls to number 32. He would have made a hell of a lot more money. Look at Will Levis. From 4 to 33, cost him $24 million. He lost a lot of money right there. Then during his career, endorsements point that we made during all of this why does he need an agent how many endorsements as a guy who was an mvp who should be the face of the league how many endorsements does he have how many deals do we ever hear lamar jackson have he could have been i believe the face of the nike jordan brand for football could have been isn't and i think in part because he doesn't have an agent and this deal now would have been done earlier would have been done better and if it does push to the brink where you become a franchise tag player agent works the channels talks to the person's contacts, gets someone interested, makes clear, hey, he's ready to leave Baltimore. Look at what Athletes First did on behalf of Deshaun Watson, made it clear mm -hmm. Deshaun Watson's never playing for the Texans again. I mean, you got to have somebody who's playing those cards for you while also telling you, you're not going to get Deshaun Watson. I'll get you a good deal. I can't get you Deshaun Watson unless you refuse to ever play for the Ravens again, and we can set up a competition among multiple teams and make somebody sufficiently desperate. So if you want to try it, I'll try it. You're the boss. You tell me what to do. I'll try it. He's not even in a position where he can begin down that path without an agent who understands how to make all those different pieces come together. So absolutely, positively. And I know we can't prove it, but I've been around this game long enough to know he would have in his pocket more if he'd been represented from day one, far more if he'd been represented from day one than what he's going to have under this deal. Well, Mike, and I would just point at the example of a Kyler Murray, right? Somebody who has not accomplished nearly, and I'm being generous by saying that, as much as Omar Jackson, and he gets a deal before his fourth season that gives him that quote-unquote generational wealth type money. And that's because he had an agent and the agent made a stink publicly sending out PDFs that had like 0.8 size font that none of us could actually read and made us think of that meme where it says, I ain't reading all that, but you know, congratulations, or I'm sorry that happened. And then he gets the deal and then, you know, he secures his financial future before uh, suffering what is a very, very serious knee injury. And you had a Lamar Jackson who won an MVP in his second season, goes into the third season, plays well, gets to the playoffs again. Before the fourth season, probably should have had a contract. And if he had an agent, would have had a new contract then. And so you're, whenever you're saying that, it's like, okay, well, 
there was money there that was not earned because he did not have a new deal and he didn't have the financial security secured, if I can use that phrase, before that fourth season. So that that's what I think about when it's, okay, if he had an agent, what would have been different? The deal would have been done years ago as opposed to now. And really, he might be in a position to go back to the Ravens as Patrick Mahomes is right now and say, Let, let's sweeten the pot here a little bit because we're getting a little off track with what my average annual value is compared to some of these other dudes who haven't done as much as what I've done. So that's where I think it gets a little bit different. Yeah. Josh Allen, who did a deal after three seasons, same draft class as Lamar Jackson. He has made 41 million more than Lamar the last two years. And that money's never coming back. This new deal does not refund Lamar Jackson Mm -hmm for what he could have made if he'd done a contract after three years. It just doesn't. That's gone. That $41 million gap is gone. And the lesson that's, that's the best point the to Kyler make about Murray, it, Mike. It really is. Yeah. The lesson from the Kyler Murray example, the best lesson for any quarterbacks out there, kids, hire the agent who represents the head coach. That goes a long way. <laughs> that goes a long way toward getting you your contract. I think the fact... That Eric Burkhart represented Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray was a lot more helpful than his Ted Kaczynski manifesto that he posted online last year. Uh, but he Ooh. did make it clear this guy's not playing for his fourth year salary. He's not playing for four million or whatever it was going to be. He's just not doing it. He's not doing it. Sometimes you need that independent voice for the same reason the team needs to have someone that they can speak candidly to. Other than the player, that's another thing that Eric DaCosta gets into if you watch the full interview, that it's difficult, that it's awkward to speak directly to the player. Sometimes the player needs somebody else to be the jerk. Some, yeah. Sometimes the player needs someone to be the one who comes out and says, you know, I'll take the heat. I'll take the criticism. I'll take the slings and arrows. Because for the player, when you do it, what happens? Everybody gets mad at you. When the agent does it, everybody gets mad at the agent. They don't get as mad at the player. You need that third person who can be the person who's waving the flag on your behalf publicly. And Lamar didn't have that. No, he did not have that. And that's that's where, you know, and so people have made this point on Twitter. And I'm, so it's not really an original thought by me, but that's kind of the point of the agent, right? You, you relieve yourself of the headache of going through all of this mess. And I mean, to me, it would have been worth it. The 3%, whatever it is, to relieve myself of the headache. To Lamar Jackson, it wasn't to each their own. But yeah, I mean, he, we're, he'll never see some of that money that he could have made had he gotten through this a few years ago. And it's the same situation that, you know, Jalen Hurts already got his deal, right? Going into the fourth year, Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow, they're not playing without new contracts, which is why we're hearing the Chargers and Bengals acknowledge that they're already working on it. And, you know, at some point between probably now and the end of July, when training camp starts, we will hear about new deals for both of those guys. Still, I give Lamar Jackson credit for not doubling down, not being so stubborn that he failed to do a deal. I was very concerned he was never going to say yes to anything and that he possibly wouldn't play at all this year because at some point he had to say yes. And I truly do believe when they overpaid Odell Beckham Jr., whatever that money is, above what the Jets were going to pay him if he had gone to New York the day after Easter, he was scheduled to go to New York, and I've heard maybe three to six million dollar base with an opportunity to make money on top of it based on production. 
15 million fully guaranteed. That blows away anything anyone else was going to do. But part of that money was to get someone in there who could maybe break the ice with Lamar Jackson. And between OBJ and Jalen Hurts, the Ravens found a way out of the maze. Non-traditional path out of the maze. They busted down a couple of walls to finally get this done. And we'll hear Lamar Jackson, Eric DaCosta, and John Harbaugh talk about that in some detail later today when they have the official press conference announcing the new contract. When we return, we shared yesterday some praise that Aaron Rodgers has for receiver Garrett Wilson on Wednesday. Wilson repaid the compliment next here on PFT Live. Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. He was, just, he was just picking on me a little bit for being young. You know, like, we was getting seated and he was like, oh, we're about to sit by, um, what's her name? We're about to sit by Jessica Alba. And I'm just like, oh, you know what I mean? I'm like, yeah, I don't know who that is. And he just looked at me. He looked at me like I'm crazy. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it was just great just being able to sit sit over there. And I got to I got to meet her and um, one of her friends who was from Detroit, actually. You know, it, it was great vibes. But that whole night, he would just keep asking me out of nowhere. He's like, do you know who that person is? And I'm like, bro, that's Amari Stoudemire. I know who that is. Like, now you're just picking on me at this point. Well, Sauce Gardner with his interactions with Aaron Rodgers. We know each other now. <laughs> he didn't know who Jessica Alba was. We had some fun before the show. I texted the PFT writers thread that, and I used that quote from Sauce. This is exactly what would happen if Miles and I were out somewhere. It's exactly what would happen. Although instead of Jessica Alba, it would be somebody like Angie Dickinson that Miles would have no idea who it is. And uh, but but these seventeen. I have years, no idea who that. Seventeen who years. That is. Who is that? Who is that? You're going to have to, because I didn't know who it was when you said it. I, and I don't know who it is now. You've, I thought, I thought you've watched the Sopranos. The name would at least ring a bell as it relates to one very specific scene involving uncle junior. I digress. The 17 year age gap though, between Aaron Rodgers and, and sauce Gardner, uh, on display as he had no idea. Man, what are you doing eating sushi? But he does, he does. He does now. 
Uh, we stay north of the border as we talk about the New York Jets <laughs> in uh, New Jersey and uh, elsewhere. Um, how about a little Garrett Wilson talking about uh, Aaron Rodgers and what he may do for the New York Jets somewhere other than on a golf course? Yeah. Uh, that's a legend right there, you know, and that's a Hall of Fame player, and, and we're all blessed to to be able to um, – you know, you know, this is something 20 years from now, 30 years from now, I'll tell my kid, you know, I play with Aaron Rodgers, you know. We know what we have in this room. We know we've known what we've had in this room. And then when you add someone um, like that with the accolades that he has and the ability that he has, you know, it, it's – it's um. I mean, we, we expect to, to compete with, you know, everyone in the league, beat everyone in the league, be one of the better teams in the league. You know, we expect to, to do that. And, um, you know, that's always been the mindset. And, and when we didn't follow through on that, we know we've always been upset, but – um, you know, I'd be lying if, if I said that we had someone, um, you know, of Aaron Rodgers' pedigree and, and the expectation, you know, doesn't go up a little bit, you know, and, and um, you know, that's, that's, that's how it is in this, in this industry, you know, so um, we're excited to, to have him and we know what comes with it. We know that all of a sudden, you know, eyes are on us and that we got to, we got to back it up every time we take the field, you know, practice or game and, and uh, we're excited to, to prove that every week, you know, what we, what we know we have, we're excited to prove that to the world every week. Very reasonable, very rational. That's great. Yeah. That's great. But, you know, my yeah. concern is this. And the item I saw this morning from Rich Simini of ESPN.com, collecting the various quotes, the Sauce Gardner quotes, Garrett Wilson said, you know, I'm going to be able to tell my kids about this in 20 years. Of course, the kids are going to say, who's Aaron Rodgers? But, uh, you know, Quincy <laughs> Williams, he's starstruck by Aaron Rodgers. The, the challenge for Rodgers is to get these guys unfreaked out about him and that's why it's good he's there it would be yes. better if he was there yes. for all of the offseason program he says he's going to be there for more than half of the remainder of it the sooner these guys just regard him as one of the guys the better off everyone's going to be because you get that in your head that you're in awe of your quarterback and it lays the foundations for something like for example christian watson wide ass open week one first possession of the game in minnesota down seven nothing after a methodical drive by the vikings results in a justin jefferson touchdown pass watson wide open blows by patrick peterson aaron Rodgers puts the ball in his hands and he drops it changed everything that day may have changed everything that season for the green bay packers you want your receivers you want your players sufficiently comfortable that they are not so in awe of Aaron Rodgers that it can become a distraction to what it is they need to do when it's time to go play in the games that count. Absolutely. But that, I mean, like, kind of like you said, that's why it's good that he's there now, right? Because it is kind of, let's get all this starstruck stuff out of the way, right? You just got to see me as one of your teammates. And it's one of the things that we criticized Aaron Rodgers for a lot last season in contrast to a Patrick Mahomes who brought guys down to Texas and worked out with them during the first part of the offseason program, made everybody comfortable, kind of got rid of that specter of Mahomes, and then we saw the results in the regular season. I think that something similar could happen with Aaron Rodgers with the New York Jets now that he is there. He is in the building. He's Mr. New York, right? He's going to all these sporting events and he's taking teammates and stuff. I think that's a good thing. And maybe it means that Aaron Rodgers learned from what happened last year, and he doesn't want that to repeat itself. He wants to make sure that he is as all-in as he can possibly be with the New York Jets to give them the best chance to win. And look, if you're talking about the AFC and the gauntlet that is the AFC, he needs to do that. 
Because it's not just, you know, the Mahomes of the world and the Joe Burrows of the world and the Lamar Jacksons of the world that he's got to compete with. I mean, Miami got Vic Fangio as their defensive coordinator, and a lot of what is their success is going to be determined by Tua Tungabailoa's health. But that's an opponent you got to face twice a year. Right, you also have the Buffalo Bills in that division, and I don't know how good they're going to be with Sean McDermott now becoming their defensive coordinator and having to wear two hats. And you know, who knows if Josh Allen's going to limit the turnovers and giveaways that he had last year? But that's still the team that is at the top of the division. You got to play them twice a year. The Patriots are always a tough matchup because of the coaching staff that they have. You got to face them twice a year. It's going to be a gauntlet for Aaron Rodgers. So all this time that he is putting in right now with the New York Jets, I think is probably going to pay off once we get to the fall. He needs to be there for everything, though. I said it yesterday. I know the Jets aren't thrilled about that, but I don't care. He needs to be there for everything and then some. Look at what Mahomes did last year, gathering those guys in Dallas, taking notes on what the receivers do well and what they don't. He's scouting guys. He's part of the front office. He's out there throwing passes to guys that haven't even been drafted into the NFL yet and giving yep. advice to the front office about who they should target. It they're downplaying it. Like but you know that's point, a, Yeah, no, they're, the Kansas City's downplaying that, but you feel like yeah. there must be something there. Otherwise, why would he be doing that? And why wouldn't you want him to do yeah. that if you can give yourself that little bit of an edge in the margins? That's where games are won and lost sometimes. Yeah, no, that, yeah, that's something. And that's why that's why I say that's why I say Aaron Rodgers has to at least match what Patrick Mahomes is doing because that's who he's competing with. And Miles, I think it's all going to become crystal clear next week because they do have a gauntlet of games. It's one thing to look at the opponents; it's another thing to see week one. Here's who they play. Week two. Here's who they play. And you do the Mike and the Mad Dog. That's a win. That's a loss. That's a win. Because once you see it, that's when it's oh crap, like. Yeah, I I still believe they didn't go get Aaron Rodgers to make themselves Super Bowl contenders. They got Aaron Rodgers to prevent from sinking to the bottom of the conference. This is just dog paddle our way through this gauntlet, as you called it, of games that once we see the configuration in the past couple of years, I mean, they've got all their tough games early. Uh, I don't know what it's going to be this year, but it's going to be specifically structured to maximize TV audiences. And we're going to see them. You know, there's talk about Monday Night Football, week one, Jets, Giants, anniversary of 9-11, ABC, ESPN, multicast, Eli and Peyton doing their thing right out of the gates. Makes sense. And I think it's going to keep going from there. There's at least 10 games on that schedule that are going to be in standalone platforms, whether it's late afternoon on a Sunday or primetime. So it's you got to get everybody comfortable and on the same page quickly because by the time we get to the middle of October, you know, this is a team that could be two and four. They could be two and four. They could be six and oh. I mean, I don't, what, we don't know what well, the hell they're going to be. I mean, but they could be two. And they could be zero oh and six, man. I don't know. I mean, it just. But like you said, look at the look at the schedule. Look well, at who they face. They face the AFC West and then also the NFC East. I mean, that's not the easiest thing there. And then you also add the Falcons in, and you've been on. You know how good the Falcons' uh, skill group is, which is probably true. So there are no like easy wins on that schedule, unless maybe you're talking about the Raiders. The Broncos, maybe, I don't know, but that's a Nathaniel Hackett revenge game. The Let's Texans, 
I mean, like the Browns, I guess, but you know, the Browns maybe could be better, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm looking at that and it's like, man, that, that really is a tough schedule because you've got not just the AFC East, but the AFC West, which is definitely competitive. And then also the NFC East, which is that best division in that conference. I'd want to start with the Texans, get, get them before CJ Stroud hits a stride. Falcons, yes. I'd want to get them early before they start to really crystallize what they have. I'd want to get the yes. Commanders early. I'd want to get the Browns early before Deshaun Watson is really, you know, ensconced and back up to where he, if he gets there, where he was in he 2020. Yeah. But I, I'd, I'd want to get some of those easy games. And there aren't many. There aren't many easy games. I'd want to get yeah. him in September, build some confidence, validate what we did with Aaron Rodgers, and then prepare ourselves for those those challenges to come both super bowl teams chiefs and eagles cowboys giants the six games in the division it's going to be a difficult year for the jets and an uphill climb for them to make it to the postseason let's take a break good news the chiefs have found a blocker for patrick mahomes bad uh, blind side bad news that's yeah the chiefs have found a blocker for patrick mahomes Blindside, south of the border, down Mexico way. We'll be right back. With the 21st pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, the Los Angeles Chargers select Quinn Johnston. prepared for a moment so much but but you've actually like I mean like you've never been there so and then like once you're there it's a it's a completely different feeling I wasn't expecting to have the emotions that I had but it was a great feeling uh, I just want to give a big shout out to my mom she will be putting a two weeks notice in today she's <laughs> right. I don't want you working another day Take this job and shove it, Quentin Johnston's mom might have said the next day. Quentin Johnston, first-round pick of the L.A. Chargers. A guy that I saw a report before the draft. They didn't invite him to Kansas City because they didn't want him to be embarrassed by falling completely out of the round. Well, they got that one wrong. They got a few others wrong, too. Four of the 17 didn't get drafted in round one. But Quentin Johnston did. 20th, 21st overall. He was the second in a run of four straight receivers in round one. That was unprecedented. Uh, And, hey... He, he's landed in a pretty good spot with Justin Herbert. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, especially with Kellen Moore now as their offensive coordinator, hopefully they will throw the ball more than like a yard in front of the line of scrimmage now to just Austin Eckler, who was caught, in, who caught 100 passes for no darn good reason when you also have, you know, Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. And I understand that they were hurt, but the design of that offense last year was a disaster. So now that you have somebody in Kellen Moore who understands the value of targeting guys down the field, Quentin Johnson probably going to be one of those guys. I think he landed in a great spot. Uh, a guy who landed in possibly a great spot for him in a contract year, DeAndre Swift, the former Lions running back, traded to the Eagles after the Lions traded down and got Jameer Gibbs. They've got David Montgomery. DeAndre Swift was the odd man out. The Eagles pounced. Here's DeAndre Swift explaining that he was still surprised when he ultimately was traded from Detroit to Philly. 
it was a surprise. Uh, there was no really explanation. Everything kind of went through my agent. Like I said, there's a lot of different emotions going up and down. Um, like I'm, I'm excited to be here. But first and foremost, uh, thank Detroit for everything. Uh, to the city of Detroit, will forever have a place in my heart. Will love them for the opportunity that they gave me to just go out there and live out my dreams. Um, but like I said, I'm excited for this new chapter. And hey, the Eagles are excited to have him. They saw DeAndre Swift week one last year. He gained 144 yards on 15 carries against the Eagles. That's when Howie Roseman, the GM of the team, had the idea that maybe one of these days down the road we'll have an opportunity to get Swift, and it worked out perfectly. It was the first thing he thought of when they got Jameer Gibbs, and it worked out well. So, will the Eagles running backs this year, with Miles Sanders gone, but DeAndre Swift in, also Rashad Penny, former first-round pick of the Seahawks, signed as a free agent. Will they be better? Worse or the same, in your opinion, Miles? I think that they have a chance to be better. And part of the reason is just the excellence of that offensive line. But you add in somebody like a DeAndre Swift who has such ability. And it's not just running it out of the backfield. It's also catching it, man. I mean, he really is a kind of dual threat guy. But for whatever reason, just didn't quite put it together with that coaching staff in Detroit. I think we saw some of that during Hard Knocks, kind of what that dynamic was um, between him and now the former running backs coach and assistant head coach, Deuce Staley, who I believe is now with the Carolina Panthers, right? So there is some of that that may have gone into it. But I think if you are a running back, you can't really land in a much better spot than going to the Philadelphia Eagles based on the way that offense works. They've got the threats on the outside with A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith. They have a tight end, Dallas Goddard, who can catch it. You have a run threat in Jalen Hurts, who makes it that much more dynamic. So with Swift and with Penny, if Penny can stay healthy, man, he can be dynamic too. They, they should be better. Miles Sanders and his 259 carries completely and totally up for grabs among Swift, Penny, Gainwell, Boston Scott, I think they're going to continue to do what they've done. They don't go all in with one running back. They use different guys in different circumstances. It avoids ever developing that star tailback that you have to pay a bunch of money to. You go a bunch of different ways, and you have Swift motivated in a contract year, and you see what happens. I, I think the Eagles will probably be better. They made the conscious decision not to get in the bidding for Miles Sanders. $6.25 million is what his average salary is, and you can get good running backs for less than that, and they did with DeAndre Swift and the trade that brings him from Detroit to Philadelphia. By the way, this segment is better, worse, or same. I didn't set it up very well, so I'm worse than I am on other days, or some would say same. same. Better, worse, same as it relates to Michael Parsons. Thank you. The Cowboys do-it-all defender who can rush the passer, play in coverage, go tackle anybody who comes his way. He says he's adding weight so he can be a full-time defensive end in 2023 see he's getting closer to contract time and he knows mm -hmm. linebackers one level pass rushers another level the prospect of michael parsons as a full-time defensive end in 2023 does that make the pass rush in dallas better worse or the same and how stupid is that question because i think it makes it you put that guy at pass rush full-time i think it makes it better 
mean, slightly better, it, it, but a kind of about the same because if you look, I mean, look, Micah Parsons already had most pressures on that team. So it's not like in known passing situations, he was dropping back, right? Dan Quinn's not an idiot. You don't put the best player, you don't put your best pass rusher in a drop back situation in known passing situations. That, that's not good scheme if you do that. So I mean, I think it makes them about the same, but maybe a little bit better because he's talking about putting on that good weight. But like you said, Mike, I mean, he's getting into contract time. He's one of those guys that next year as a first round pick, yeah, we're going to say it's a formality that the Dallas Cowboys are picking up his fifth year option, but also they're going to be deep probably in contract negotiations for a new deal because he's just one of those guys that plays a premium position and plays it so well that he's going to be in line for new money. Kind of like Trevor Lawrence, we expect next year at about this time. Yeah, and uh, it is wild to see. One of the points I made last night when I wrote something up about the fifth-year options that were exercised for the 2020 draft class, none of those guys have gotten second contracts yet, other than Jordan Love, who really didn't get a second contract. He just got this Band-Aid that simulates the fifth-year option. Nobody's gotten their reward. Burrow hasn't gotten it. Herbert hasn't gotten it. I'd say by this time next year, good chance you're going to see Trevor Lawrence have his – Michael Parsons have his, and yeah, full-time defensive end. I think the pass rush becomes better. I agree with you. They did use him extensively already. We saw the numbers. But if he's there all the time, all the time, and he's focusing on that all the time, he's not balancing different skill sets, I think he's going to be even better, and we're going to see an even more dominant presence than we have from Michael Parsons so far in his career. All right, the Chiefs, we mentioned this on the way to break, have signed a new tackle. For the blind side, presumably. They added Juwan Taylor early in free agency after Orlando Brown walked away. Donovan Smith cut by the Bucks. Long-time left tackle there. Now comes into Kansas City. Will the pass protection for Patrick Mahomes be better, worse, or same with Orlando Brown gone, Taylor in, and Donovan Smith now in as well. Also, Andrew Wiley, right tackle, exited via free agency. So two new tackles, 40% turnover for the offensive line for the Chiefs? Better, worse, or same? Yeah, I I can't imagine that it's going to be much better. I mean, maybe it'll be better on the right side, but I think on the left side, you are taking a bit of a downgrade going from Orlando Brown to maybe anybody else. And, you know, it's interesting hearing Brett Veach talk about Juwan Taylor perhaps playing left, perhaps playing right, nothing is set in stone. I don't know how much Donovan Smith should change that, right? I, I, I was not overly impressed with the way Donovan Smith been playing the last year or so um so i i don't really know exactly where they're gonna go with this because if Jawan taylor was good enough to replace orlando brown then there is a chance that he is good enough to be better than donovan smith at left tackle so it, it you can't quite solve this quandary right now because you can't get in the pads and you can't hit and you don't really know exactly the way guys are going to mesh but i mean you want this done by probably about the first to second week of training camp where guys are settled in. I mean, I would say even the first week. I, I, I don't want to be mixing things up on the offensive line when I've got Patrick Mahomes behind me at quarterback. You want to make sure that your guys are right. So whether it is Donovan Smith, Jawan Taylor, Lucas Niang, uh, Morris, who they just drafted out of Oklahoma, they got to figure out what their best combination of tackles is 
soon into training camp before you start really making things a mess. Cause like I said, you just want that line to gel as soon as possible when you've got somebody as good as Patrick Mahomes behind you. I fully recognize that the point I'm about to make will sound snarky in part because that's my way, but it's not, I mean this. I really, but I really mean this. The performance of the Chiefs offensive line this year, whether it's better, worse, or same, is going to hinge on whether and to what extent the officials let Donovan Smith get away with holding in order to keep Patrick Mahomes from getting hit. Because we saw it last year. Donovan Smith, when the Buccaneers were trying on Monday night to erase what was it, 16-3, to three, because we had the Monday night game 16-3, to three, and the Bucks came back and beat the Saints, the Thursday night game 16-3, to three, and the Rams came back and beat the Raiders. But he was holding on every play. And, and you know, this, okay, he's grabbing the, the outside, but, I mean, he was doing the around the neck. I mean, every single play he was holding, it was laughable. We showed the plays, holding and holding and holding. So... And, and this is all part of, and, and you know, Sims made the point last year, Miles, defensive linemen are so much better than offensive linemen right now, and the good teams have six, seven, eight of them that are constantly fresh and rotated in. So the officials look the other way when the linemen do the Lane Johnson move, where they start you know, a half second early into their pass <laughs> yes. block set. They get that. You know, we see it all the time. You see the yes. movement on either side of the line. The guy's getting into his pass block set, and they don't call it. Give him a little edge against that better defensive lineman. Let him hold against that better defensive lineman. Why? Because we understand the value of keeping the quarterbacks healthy and able to play. Mm-hmm. So it'll be better if the officials understand what's well, Patrick Mahomes. We don't want Patrick Mahomes to get injured. We're going to go ahead and look the other way when Donovan Smith, you know, has his his uh, forearm around the neck of the defensive lineman who's trying to get to Mahomes. Yeah, well, and that's what I meant, but I wasn't necessarily all that impressed by Donovan Smith's play. I mean, like, it's just, it's it's predicated on a lot of holding, and you've got to be able to move your feet probably a little bit better and be a little bit more swift afoot. So we'll see. I mean, like, there's no guarantee that Donovan Smith is going to play left tackle. I'm just, I'm interested to see, what it is that Andy Reid is going to say about how they see Donovan Smith fitting in. Because like I said, I mean, they've got a guy in Lucas Yang who I don't think is terrible and is somebody that can also play right tackles. What they were probably planning on doing. You drafted Morris for a reason, right? They love those Oklahoma offensive linemen there with Kansas City and they've had success with it. So we'll see how this turns out. We'll take a break when we return. A Texas running back was the target for the Atlanta Falcons last Thursday night. Terry Fontenot, the GM of the team, joined me earlier this week to talk about the decision to draft Bijan Robinson. We'll play some of that for you when PFT Live continues right after this. For us, you got to take the position out of it and talk about the player. Because you might say, take a premium position, take a corner, take a defensive end. Okay, tell me who the corner is. Tell me who the defensive end is. That's what matters. It's who the particular player is. When you talk about a Bijan Robinson, the the impact he's he's a he's an impact offensive player. Um, he's a playmaker. You look at last year with Drake London. We're excited to take him off the board because of not because he was a receiver, but because of the impact we believe he's going to make, as well as Kyle Pitts two years ago. So we believe we're taking impact players and we're taking playmakers, home run hitters, touchdown makers, guys that can really impact our total team. 
So we never focus on a particular position. You think positionless football, you just want to take good players that fit the character traits that you're looking for that are going to make you a better team. There's been a lot of talk about B. John Robinson not just playing in the backfield, but spending time in the slot like he did at Texas last year. Is the vision to move him all over the place when he's on the field? Yeah, I think he can he can do a lot of different things. And and that's one of the things that when you put on the tape and wherever he is on the field, he does. He makes impacts. If you if he's at receiver, if he's in the slot, you're going to worry about him. You better make sure you have a plan for him. Coordinators have to make sure they have a plan for him or if he's in the backfield. But when you just go through our players on our roster, we have other players that are the same way. You don't know where they're going to line up and exactly what they're going to do. So that's that's the fun part about it. Oh, and it's going to be fun for the Atlanta Falcons. That's Terry Fontenot, the guy who made the decision to draft B. John Robinson eighth overall last week. You can see the full interview at the NFL on NBC YouTube page. One football to go around, but plenty of great guys who will create a lot of sleepless nights for defensive coordinators between B. John Robinson, Drake London, Kyle Pitts, Tyler Algier, Cordell Patterson. Takes a lot of pressure off of Desmond Ritter when you've got that many great weapons, Miles. Well, look, it takes the pressure off, but it also puts the pressure on, doesn't it? Because it means that you have to execute, and there aren't really many that excuses. You know, he's going into another year with the same guy in his helmet. He had a little bit of experience last year, played, let's call it, a quarter of the season, even though the season can't really be split into quarters anymore. I think that's valuable playing time experience. When you add somebody like a Bijan Robinson to it, I mean, that means that your quarterback has to execute and make sure you are the proverbial point guard and distribute the ball to those guys who can go and make plays. I I think that there is some pressure on Desmond Ritter to make sure that he gets this right. And there's just not enough known, at least in my opinion, about Desmond Ritter to say whether or not the Falcons are really going to be that good. They should be. And if, if, Desmond Ritter is not as good, then maybe they're in a position to take Kirk Cousins off of your hands next year, Mike. Well, there's an example of a team that may have the pieces in place to allow a Kirk Cousins to be successful. That would be a potential destination depending upon what they do this year, depending upon what Ritter does. Something Sims and I have addressed in the past. We believe that Ritter is a guy that the Falcons – firmly are convinced has all the intangibles they just have to get him to the point where he has the tangibles great leader yes great presence great guy who can bring it all together but he's got to be able to make the throws he's got to be able to play the yes. position he's got to be able to do the things that quarterbacks do at a high level in the nfl and that's for arthur smith and company to try to figure out all right let's take a break when we return we'll figure out the best young nucleus or nuclei i guess it would be of offensive skill players in light of all the great players the falcons have that's today's draft we'll do it next here on pft live do we have peter back tomorrow or is he off again it's not Chris, so it's going to be a bad day. That's right. Thank you. That's a nice of you. That's the nicest thing you ever said. Damn. It's not very nice of me to his replacements. <laughs> <laughs> well, we won't tell them. Yeah. We won't until well, we you do. you just did. <laughs> Sorry. No, I didn't just do it. That was from a while ago. They just played it uh, now. I didn't say uh, it now. I said uh-huh. it a while ago. Yeah, I right. possibly have changed my mind since then. I possibly yeah. have.
Chris off yeah. today. I I assume that was the trade off for Chris actually working last Friday, the day after the draft. He gets an extra day off, which worked out well because his son has some sort of musical thing at school today, so he gets to attend oh, it. Worked out perfectly. All right. So, uh, best young offensive cores in honor of the Atlanta Falcons and given all the young weapons they have. That's our draft for today. Miles, as always, you get the first pick. Thank you, Mike. Well, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles here because I don't know that there's much better as an offensive core, starting with your young quarterback in a Jalen Hurts, but then you add A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, you know, may or may not count Dallas Goddard because he's 28, but, you know, he's still in his 20s. That's a young man. He's younger than me. So DeAndre Swift, you add that to the list, to Kenneth Gainwell. That's, there's not many better young cores to me than that. And, you know, they went to the Super Bowl last year. They are probably one of the favorites to get to the Super Bowl this year from the NFC. So I got to pick the Eagles. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard because you don't find every piece young. There's one in there that kind of screws it up. I've been thinking through the depth charts, and there's always one. I'm going to start, though, because young quarterback has got to be one of the keys. And if you're going to leave the Falcons on the board, I gave you the first pick. I thought you'd start with the Falcons. The whole thing's about the freaking Falcons. Give me the Falcons. Look at what the Falcons have. All those great weapons. I mean, Cordell Patterson doesn't count because he's in his 11th year. But you've got B. John Robinson, who I think is going to be a transformational talent. Drake London, top 10 pick last year. Kyle Pitts, maybe he finally breaks out now that he's got these other guys around him. Tyler Algieu had 1,000 rushing yards last year, very quietly 1,000 yards. They've got a great group of guys, and I think Arthur Smith is going to find a way to deploy them in a manner that makes the Falcons, who were 7-10 and 10 each of the last two years. And we just don't think of them as that being that good, being that close to 500, that close to the fringes of playoff contention, but they have been. I think that uh, that young nucleus helps push them over the top, and I have faith that Dennis, Desmond Ritter is going to make the most out of all those guys that he has around him. So much faith that you even know his first name. Um, that's why, I mean, like, Desmond, uh, you're higher than I am. What did I on, say? You said Dennis first. Dennis so. Ritter. Yeah, uh-huh, right. Desmond anyway, Ritter. I mean, I, I didn't you're, say you're, Dennis. I started to say you Dennis. Started There's to a say difference. Dennis. Get your facts. Yeah, straight. and then you corrected yourself. So, that, like I said, he's got so much confidence in him that you really know his first name off the cuff. I mean, look, I, you're higher on the Falcons than I am, mainly because you're saying if, right? If Bijan Robinson, if Kyle Pitts has a break, if Desmond, I, we already know what the Eagles have done, right? And so, anyway, I, I would go to my second pick here, which right. would be the Cincinnati Bengals, and again, we're talking about guys who are a little bit more proven, right? Joe Burrow, still on the first contract. T. Higgins, still on the first contract. Tyler Boyd is another one where he's still in his 20s, but Orlando Brown Jr., you add him to that nucleus of young players, right? Irv Smith will see what he does at tight end. Joe Mixon's only 26. That is a great young offensive core that has shown what they can do over the last couple seasons. It is amazing Joe Mixon's only 26. It feels like he's been around forever, and he's the old man of that group. I, I'm, I'm torn here. Hmm. I will go. I'll go Chicago Bears. I got a lot of hope in the Bears moving forward, and it's another if pick, but Justin Fields, the most dangerous running threat in the NFL right now. They have Chase Claypool, who I think with a full season 
will rediscover the form that we saw his rookie year. They picked up DJ Moore. They have Roshan Johnson that they stole in round four, who's one of the better running backs. And they have Deontay Foreman, who is older. But again, it's always one guy that's going to screw up the average a little bit. But I think that there's still a lot there for Justin Fields, who could be spectacular this year. Year three, they're building the offense around him. They've been able to add some pieces. I think that entire nucleus of offensive players could end up being extremely good for the Bears. Let's take a break. We'll have round three of our draft when PFT Live concludes right after this. All right, here we are so far. The best young offensive cores. Round three is upon us. Miles, you are up. All right, Mike, I, honestly, I feel like I could probably pass and still win this draft. And like, there are teams that I will shout out here because they're on my list. Detroit is another one of these that could be really good. The Chiefs, they still have a young offensive core with Isaiah Pacheco, Kadarius Toney, Sky Moore. I like Rasheed Rice, Creed Humphrey. Those are all just... dudes that are young. They're all dudes that are young. And you're not even letting you me get can't... to my pick. Let me get to my pick because my pick, get to your pick is the you Pittsburgh pick. Steelers. The Pittsburgh Steelers have a uh, very, very nice Ass. young offensive core. Well, that's because they do. Kenny Pickett, Najee Harris, Pat Frymuth, who I think is going to start emerging as one of the better tight ends in the league. Deontay Johnson, George Pickens. I like Broderick Jones, their, their pick um, out of Georgia, young tackle. That is a really good young offensive core, and I think they could make even more noise than they did last year um, in the AFC North. Yeah, you took mine. Uh, I, you know, I'll go Jaguars because yeah. Trevor Lawrence. I think, and again, I, it's hard to get because the the receivers are a little older, but they have Travis Etienne, they have Trevor Lawrence. I still think of them as young. I think of the team as up and coming. So, I th- I didn't think you were going to take the Steelers, and I do since we have thirty uh-huh. seconds left. I do take issue with any reference to the Detroit Lions or the Kansas City Chiefs, when the quarterback is on his second contract, when the quarterback is either 30 or pushing 30, that dilutes the whole thing. The whole thing starts with the young quarterback. We're 27. Whatever. All right. Well, I think 20s is still pretty young, even though, you know, whatever you want to say. Younger than you, which means young. That's it. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see everybody tomorrow morning. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big, juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokers Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.